Have you ever wondered how a kangaroo can live in a tree? Or what about crocodiles and how they can stay underwater for hours at a time and not be seen? Maybe what keeps you up at night is your thoughts of how box jellyfish can be the most venomous animal in the whole world towards humans? Or is it your curiosity of what really goes on inside that caterpillar cocoon for a magnificent stunning butterfly to emerge? Well, don't worry, as I have all your questions answered and much, much more with our following Wild Chats, I am going to bring you the most amazing guests. Hey everyone, my name is Jodie Creek and I'm a wildlife educator and huge advocate for Australian animals. And of course, their habitats and ecosystems as well. But what I'm truly passionate about is bringing you information that you need to connect with the natural world. So someone once said to me that I may not be able to change the world but I can change the world around me. So let's hope that we can inspire you to make change at home and therefore together we do actually change the world. So get that cup of tea ready and enjoy the following Wild Chats. G'day guys, my name is Matt and welcome to Tropical Far North Queensland. It is about 100% humidity (laughs) and 32 degrees and only 8 o'clock. But we are here not to talk about Tropical Far North Queensland but to do what we have made up the name for, a reverse podcast I don't know if that's actually what it's called, but I've decided today we are going to interview Jodie Creek. We're going to bring her out of the shadows, and we're going to learn a little bit about the voice behind Australian Wildlife Education Wild Chats. So, good morning, Jodie, and welcome to our reverse podcast. Is that what you call it? I don't actually. I would have no idea if it's a reverse podcast. I would think that a reverse podcast would be like our guest actually interviewing me, but you're... You're part of guest. Wild Chats. Well, okay, you're a guest. Fine. Let's I go with that. I thought a reverse podcast is when you put the podcast on reverse. Oh, God. Okay. Anyway, keep going. <laughs> so, Jodie, we've obviously got you here. Um, you are going to be well, this is my our home. guest. To, well, yeah, of course you're here. But you are going to be our guest today on this podcast, a very, very special podcast, because I would like to learn a little bit about you, how you got to where you are today. And, yeah, it's, it's a tough question, but tell me a bit about yourself and... Mm. Mm. Well, I think um, as you, a lot of people might have heard in some of the podcasts already that we have done, I've delved a little bit about in my background. But pretty much, I, I grew up in Brisbane, a beautiful place called Recliffe, um, sleepy little town back then, but not anymore. Obviously, uh, things grow, and I, I actually fell in love with great apes. And the, one of the one of the things that really sparked me was one day, was my dad used to travel a lot and go um, to different parts of, of Australia. And he always brought back a little Prezi from the airport. It was the best thing. Get back. Your dad would get back. He's like, yeah, what have you got? And he brought me this orangutan. And it was this orangutan, not a real one, obviously, a stuffed toy. I'm glad you had to clarify that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, your eyes opened up a little bit. And it was this beautiful little stuffed toy, and I was just fascinated with it. And I was quite young, around about the five, six by memory. Look, I, I don't know if that's true or not. And then I fell in love with the great apes. And so I used to watch anything to do with gorillas and chimpanzees and orangutans. And I fell in love with uh, Diane Fossey. So always watched gorillas in the mist over and over, like literally a hundred times. And now as an adult, I'd look back at that and I realized some of those gorillas aren't actually real. (laughs) Damn it. (laughs) But as a, as a kid and as a coming into my teenage years, that was something that really inspired me. But also what I really wanted to do and what I imagined myself doing 
is being in the rainforest researching. I was very interested in the science behind things, the behavior behind animals, like why they do what they do, how they play that role. And that's where sort of my inquisitiveness grew. But also I was one of those odd kids where I wasn't interested in going to the shops and doing, I don't know, normal kid things. I was the oddball in the garden looking at the bee talking to the flower and then following that and catching lizards. Me and my brother actually used to catch lizards. And um, my uncle was a um, a, uh, in Redcliffe. There was a lot of these water, I think they were water dragons. I can't remember off the top of my head. He used to have so many water dragons. And so we used to catch all these little geckos in our own backyard. Um, But unfortunately being a little bit younger and unaware, they're not suited for sleeping in the bed with you. And so now and then we'd find a dead gecko or something like that. But that's where my fascination for animals come from. I've always believed there's two different types of wildlife keepers, those that used to catch lizards as a kid and those that didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Dead set, the majority of kids used to do that. But it wasn't just lizard. Like I was so interested in the trees, the plants, the flowers, the, you know, little insects. I was scared of, um, more scared of insects and spiders. But I was still, I had that curiosity but mine was mainly with the great apes to start with. And so from there I, I tried very hard in school. And this is the thing, right, is that I I was wanting to be like Diane Fox. I wanted to be in Africa. I wanted to be in the rainforest. I want to do the research. But in order to get to that, I had to have certain um, rating at school to get the university degree. And back then, like I'm 42 now, so back then, it was all about you must go to university. You must, 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 must. It's like you don't have a gap year. That was unheard of. And so I was trying to get a high rating to be able to get into the university course that I wanted to, but I didn't quite get there. And as, as much as I tried, uh, and, and I really did, I studied really hard, but the system just didn't help people like me who learnt a little bit different. Um, now it's it's different in education. I believe my eyes are rolling in the back of my head here a little bit because it's like, oh, is it, is it not? But we are more aware of the different learning styles um, now than back then. So anyway, I went to University of Queensland at Gatton College. A lot of people listening to this will be like, yes, I went there too. Um, and I did the first year of wildlife biology that just came out at Gatton College. And because I was 18, like fresh, 18, I got a degree in drinking beer and learning how to play pool. Very, very important, mind you. And that's mm. all about the different learning styles, obviously. <laughs> I had a great, like, seriously, the, the best three years of my life. But because what happened or what I found for me, and now looking back in hindsight as an adult with with uh, teenage children who have also left school and who is having a gap year, which is really important, I look back and I go oh, – I, I tried, I did, not tried, I did really well at school in my own own way. Um, my marks didn't show that, but in my way I did really well at school. I got into a university degree, which I was really excited about, but I left home and I was free. I was away from the parents. I was away from um, the rules and regulations, I suppose, within the school environment. And all of a sudden I'm put on this campus, which in a, in a country place and, and meeting amazing people and I, I don't know, like I just had, I had freedom. And so I had a lot of fun, met some great friends, but I will say I did also learn a lot, but now as an adult, I, I would actually do that differently. I would have learned a lot more if I was older. So one thing I do have is advice for people who do ask me if they ask, 
is shall I go straight to university? That's completely up to you, but I do truly believe if you're 17 or 18, having that little bit of a gap year is so important. And so I kind of wasted my university, definitely the first year. I wasted it. So after uni, I um, – anyway, this is a bit boring, isn't it? No. So racing through, had the best three years, and, and my friends who are listening can definitely remember. We ended the, the university three years, by the way, on 21 of us on a houseboat on the, at the Gold Coast. It was amazing. It, seriously, it was so good. We had two houseboats, obviously. We can't all fit on one. But it was the best way to end it. But, but most of my friends were from North Queensland. And I was like, well, everyone's leaving. What am I going to do? I was trying to get into zoos. That was that was what I was thinking of going to work, like Melbourne Zoo, work with gorillas, start that way, and then maybe head head over to, you know, work in Africa. But I ended up following all my friends up to North Queensland. Cairns, what an amazing place, seriously. Um, I'd been up here for a, a couple of times throughout the uni years with everyone, and I came up for a holiday. And I'm still here 21 years later. It's about 80% of people in Cairns. Yeah, seriously. It, like for people who work in with nature and people who work or want to work with animals, this is the place to be, especially if you don't want to be in a zoo necessarily because the, the small zoos up here are more of the uh, small Australian zoos, not necessarily a lot of exotics. Um, I think one of the zoos has a little bit of exotics. Yeah, so Harley's? Well, yeah, back in 2009 when I first moved here, the only place with exotics was the old African Safari Park, which has shut down since then. But I think since then there's been a few legislative changes for Queensland uh, reptiles in regards uh, – Queensland zoos in regards to exotic reptiles – and since then, uh, Queensland zoos have been able to possess exotic reptiles. So Hartley's has got a lot of exotic reptiles. And I remember Cairns Tropical Zoo used to have um, all sorts of little um, primates. Yeah, yeah. They, no, I think they still do, uh, aren't they? Camerons. I think they used to be. I think they've moved to Hartley's now. They've moved to Hartley's as well. So yeah. there's been a couple of exotic mammals, but now there's a lot of exotic reptiles. Mm, mm. Yeah. Well, I, I ended up working for that company, actually. So I just I volunteered. Like The thing is, is that... I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I wanted to work with exotic animals, but everything up here was the Australian animals. So then I I had to shift my mindset of, well, if I work and just get my foot in the door here, then I can obviously expand and, and go elsewhere. So I didn't expect to stay for as long as I did. But exploring the beauty up here and just having the wet tropics rainforest and the daintree and then not far is the dry savannah and then obviously the estuaries and the Great Barrier Reef and oh, there was just too much to explore. And still I haven't explored all of it, actually probably not even half of it. So um, I got I volunteered it back in the in my day. It was called Wild World. Now it was then it changed to Cairns Trop Zoo and it worked as a mammal keeper. And it was so it's to this day I will always remember the smell of a koala. Like <laughs> some people go, they stink. Of course, the males males stink, like with their little scent gland. But it's there's this particular particular smell of a koala, and I love it. It it takes me back to those memories of how I worked really hard in in volunteering to actually get a paid paid position to be a mammal keeper and to work with koalas and kangaroos and wombats. Oh my god, wombats are scary. Um, don't, don't ever underestimate a wombat. Um, and yeah, but, but to be honest, look, look, I'm, I'm going to cut a long story short. I worked in the zoo industry for around about five, six years. I moved from one company to another company, um, up here in North Queensland and had a great time, really learnt a lot, learnt a lot of what I do like and what I don't like. 
But one thing I have to say is I met my mentor in that time, Terry Carmichael. He was one of the most amazing um, people who could have, who, who did see the potential in myself and then was brave enough to actually push me into that because I feel that we can't become our best selves if someone else doesn't believe in it and then also help us to push push ourselves into it. And I was in my early 20s. I mean, oh, God, do we, do we even know who we are in our 20s? I guess we play an important role in our 20s, but Jesus, like I, I, I couldn't even get up and talk, but yet I had the passion and the one-on-one I could speak and I could speak under the underwater and that you know terry's like you've got to be on stage i was like hell no (laughs) No." oh my god but he really did push 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 and i'll say that at times i really didn't like you terry (laughs) they always say greatness happens outside of your comfort zone absolutely absolutely and so he taught me a lot about interpretation and um how to present how to be on stage how to present in front of different audience and this is really important too because as a presenter or as a zookeeper or whether it depends but you could have your your mixed audience i mean look we we went to Taronga Zoo and absolutely love Taronga Zoo by the way but we did see a reptile talk there a couple of years ago and it was one of the worst talks i've ever seen mm. not because um uh, necessarily the zookeeper or the presenter on stage was shit at what she did. She just didn't know how to present to a mixed audience um, because she she she'd her, obviously done it. <clears throat> she'd obviously done that talk like a thousand times. Yeah, and she just got up there and rattled one off. Well, that's the thing is that if you don't really know how to present to an audience with little kids and then teenagers and then adults and grannies and everything and you've got the animal there but you've got a stage, you've got the outside noise of people coming in and out of the auditorium or the room or the area, um, being able to read your audience. like something, uh, something wasn't quite right there, to be fair, because the stage it wasn't was higher right. than the audience. Because Taronga Zoo are very, like, they're high-up zoo. World-class zoo. Yeah. And I, I, I assume... I guess I shouldn't assume, but they they would pick their presenters and and because all the other shows we saw was amazing. Maybe she was having an off day, but that's the thing is that we need to we need to have those presenters in place or educators and interpreters in place to be able to push through all of that, like push through the issues that you may have had or or the the hard talk that you may have just had with your boss or maybe what's happening at home because the people in front of you don't care about your personal life. They want to hear about that lizard or that snake that you're holding. They want to they want to find out what's going on. And you as the presenter on the stage, you're captivating that audience to then educate. And we all have that role. Like Absolutely. if if we if we are privileged enough to work in zoos or have the job that we have being able to go to schools and and do talks and have live animals with us, then there has to be education there, but how you deliver it is really important. Yeah, I think we've spoken about this in previous podcasts, but we've all done an absolutely shocking show. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we have, oh, mate. And, yeah. <laughs> I can't remember who we were talking to previously, but we, we were discussing this exact topic. We've had some stinkers out there. Oh, man. And it's embarrassing to even look back and think about it, to be honest. But, uh, but yeah, you're right. It's On a whole, it's incredibly important because people go to a zoo and there's two things they remember. 
the animals and the presenters. Mm, yeah, for sure. And, and how things are presented is really important, but not not just from a presenter's point of view in the speaking, but how then how the presentation of the enclosure, the interpretation of the signage and, and, and so forth the is really important. The actual words they're saying during a talk is like 1% of an actual wildlife show. Absolutely. There's the body language, there's the tone, there's the pitch, there's positioning, there's the audience. You know, the pausing. There's, there's so much to a wildlife show. So if there's people out there that want to be a wildlife presenter and maybe they're young in the industry or maybe they're looking for a job change, then yes, that is a very, very important topic. And we mentor, by the way, so reach out. Absolutely. I remember when I went to, uh, when I finished school, I went and studied uh, captive animal care, Stitty 3. I think they called it zoo kidding back then. And one of the subjects was public speaking. Mm. And, uh, and it was interesting, you know, because... Everyone's thinking, oh, this is easy. You just come up a wildlife <laughs> talk and you do it. Like, we do this wildlife talk at the zoo all the time. This is going to be easy. But now there's a lot more to it. And I'll tell you a quick funny story if you don't mind. It was, it was sure, funny. we'll make it about If you. there's anyone that was in my TAFE class out there listening or maybe one of the facilitators if they're still shaking their head, uh, for my final assessment uh, for public speaking, we were all given uh, a different uh, audience type. And I was given a Japanese audience. Okay, so I had to do a wildlife <laughs> show to a Japanese audience, and that was my final assessment. And to be fair, that was the only subject that I really did well in at, at TAFE. Like I, I passed everything, but that was the one that I did really well in. And for my final assessment, I had to think outside the box. So I got a Word document on a computer and then just got Google Translate, and I typed out this huge show and then just translate into Japanese, and then I just printed it, and then I just walked around the class. And just handed them out to everyone, and then I just picked up the animals and pointed at it. <laughs> and, uh, and the teacher's like, "That's not what you meant to do, Matt." But that's really creative. <laughs> so yes, don't do that. Don't but, do that. But yes, it's it's really really difficult to develop a good talk, but not get stale in that talk. And I've been to zoos, even zoos that I've worked at, where twelve thirty is the crocodile feeding show. You go up there and you sit there, and it's same word. Word for word, I could sit there and just move my mouth and it's exactly the same as what the presenter's doing. And you're like, mate, you really need to get out of that little hole of comfort mm. you're in and start changing things up because you're not sounding fresh. Yeah. And it's so important. And people will pick up on that very quickly. Yeah, absolutely, especially if they're regulars at the zoo. But with with the presentation, and this is something that Terry helped mentor with me, is it is actually different every time that I do a talk as well. Um, I th- I believe at the start I was very much the same because I didn't trust myself yet. So because of it, I didn't trust myself yet to be able to go with the flow, I then needed that structure to allow myself the confidence to be in front of people, to to practice tones, to practice pauses, um, to, to be able to also take questions from the audience at the right time. Because if everyone's got their hand up, especially if you're working with kids and you're constantly taking questions, you're actually not presenting or doing the talk you're just bouncing off the audience but what I did learn later on is how to embed what it is that the audience wanted to know into your talks and be able to go with the flow that way however it needs to be quite strategic for yourself in accepting those questions because you know you might you might even start off your your chat saying good morning to everyone how where's everyone from or, or so forth or same with when I'm with a school group how's everyone's morning been and such and such. And then someone will say something and from that, that's how I roll into it. So 
it's, it's, a, it's about the confidence and your belief in yourself, but also having someone who believes in you to be able to push you, mentor you, um, help you with that. And I would not be where I am today without Terry Carmichael, but also another person came into my life towards, so I, I, I had babies when I was at, uh, fresh in zookeeping and Terry also helped me to just not clarify baby humans right? baby humans okay. yeah yeah so i had my beautiful little girl lily and terry was really good in because I, I was 24 oh my god i was such a baby having a baby i was 24 and he also helped me to not push myself into my career and forget about my family because being someone who wanted to work with animals my whole life and everything all the way up to that stage was about that. And then I had my beautiful little girl. So Terry was really good with just slowing me into that, that career and giving me lots of homework to do at home with my children. <laughs> so that was really good. Um, but someone else came into my life and I was at a barbecue and I was at that pivotal moment of, I don't want to work in zoos anymore. There was something that wasn't fitting right for me. And it was it was bothering me. I was trying to get certain things up and running within zoos with with education more so for the locals, right? So uh, I was at a barbecue and I met this character called Uncle Brian. And Uncle Brian, anyone's in North Queensland now know who Uncle Brian is. You'll see the the tour bus going around Uncle Brian's tours, and he had. I believe he had just sold Uncle Brian's. I'm not 100% sure at that time when, when I spoke to him, but he had just sold Uncle Brian's tours to um, someone else to nurture it and to, and to take it on. And anyway, my question was, this is what I want to do. I want to have my own little zoo. I want to go to schools. I want to be in the classroom, and I want to do educational talks with kids. But how do I do this? Because this zoo didn't want to do it, and this zoo didn't want to do it, and they say this isn't worth it. And whatever he said to me, and I can't remember it entirely now, basically encouraged me to do it myself. And I was like crazy. So again, someone else who, it was a complete stranger, found a little bit about my story, heard my passion, saw something in himself. And he goes, well, I, I've done this. I did it for 10 years with Uncle Brian's tours with a family. And he saw something in me that was obviously him at one stage. And so he believed in me and he helped me to, and I borrowed some of his belief and courage. And I therefore went ahead and quit my job. Crazy, right? I had nothing to go to, but it was right for me. And then it took me 12 months to get my current business, Zoo to You, up and running. And that was 15 years ago. A very quick announcement to make that I'm so excited. Our home education virtual portal is up and running and you can visit that at www.australianwildlifeeducation.com and if you are a parent or you know other parents who have children ages 4 to 12, this one is specifically for them and they get to learn more about Australian wildlife. You mentioned that the zoos didn't think it was worth it. Mm-hmm. And in what way is it not worth it? A financial way? Yeah. So when you crunch the numbers to do external, um, you know, incursions to the schools and and so forth, um, it wasn't worth it financially for a zoo to be able to get it up and running. But I also believe that it – it wasn't – they didn't really know how to do it and it was just a big project right now that wasn't priority. Because the point I'm sort of pushing here is they've made the decision based on money, whereas this is a really, really important 
thing for educating children. So as a wildlife um, you know, facility, I would always assume that they've got a responsibility to educate younger generations, not only by people coming to the zoo, but potentially going out to other people. And it's, it's sad that these decisions are made on money alone. Well, well look, uh, I, I can't say entirely that because I'm just assuming as well, like there's a little bit of information there, but the, it, I don't know their, their backstory as to other priorities. And their other priorities could have been what we then learnt was, um, you know, went from the Japanese market to the Chinese market and being able to do more of the you know, international tourism was priority up here. And, and look, that's each their own. However, for me, morally, that wasn't what I wanted to do. I actually wanted to educate the younger generation and they were still doing that and we did get schools through. However, for me personally with with what I actually wanted to do, I wanted to be in the classroom. Mm. I wanted to do that and be more curriculum-based um, talks and and design the talks for each specific year level. It's not necessarily just about coming into the zoo and having – it makes me sound terrible, but having fun, right? Like it's it's more than that because we have these animals in captivity, so we have an obligation. Mm, that's exactly right. And you use the entertainment as a channel for education. There's a thing I want to touch on before we go too far into zoo to you and educational uh, wildlife education, but you mentioned the Japanese and Chinese markets. Now, I'm familiar with exactly what you're talking about, but people out there who are listening may not really understand what you mean. So do you want to... So hmm. go into the international tourism market and what happened with Japan, what happened yeah. with China. So here in North Queensland, um, it, it was mainly the uh, – I, I believe before the Japanese market, this was before my time of moving up here, um, it, I believe it was a lot of Germans and um, Americans. And then we got into more of the Japanese market where Japan – or like wanted to come and, and it was a really rushed um, tour as well. So they would come to North Queen, they'll fly into North Queensland, I believe, or they fly out. They come in, they get the Aussie experience where, um, you know, you might go out to the Great Barrier Reef, you hold a koala because in Queensland, it, uh, Queensland's the only state where you can hold a koala. So you can hold a koala, um, which was a really big market up here. And that's something that didn't fit right with me too is the, the uh, overuse and abuse of koala holding um, for uh, literally 25 seconds, if you're lucky, to hold a koala for, you know, mm. I think nowadays it's like 30 bucks to hold it. It's just a, a bucket list item really, isn't it? Yeah, and it, look, it is, it's it's truly special to hold a koala. It's beautiful. Um, however, the way that it, it was done is very fast and I don't see how that experience is, is an experience. But anyway, it, it was part of it. Um, and then, and then the Jap- I can't even remember how the Japanese market crashed. What happened? Do you remember? Oh, there was the tsunami, and then there was all yeah, sorts of yeah. There was also thing, and then they used to go down to Sydney, and then they used to do a few other things, and then so then they they stopped coming to North Queensland, mm. and therefore it it was horrible. It was horrible to see uh, our zoos suffered, our um, economy suffered. We saw uh, you know shops closing left, right, and centre. It was crazy in in North Queensland. Very similar to what we're experiencing at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. But then we had the global financial crash mm-hmm. and that also... 2008, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So then that also brought in. But then um, what's happened is now we've we've brought in the Chinese market. Yeah, well, we or did. Or trying. We did. And, and, and it, 
it, it, we did bring in the Chinese market, but I believe that they, they were trying to do a lot more. Mm. And then obviously COVID hit. So it's interesting, you know, when they say they're bringing in the Chinese market, I distinctly remember being at a zoo where I worked and the boss asking for a staff meeting. She sat us all down and said, right, Chinese market is where it's at. That's what's going to get us the money and the growth and keep you guys employed. So what I want everyone to do is, and I'm thinking, oh, here comes a little bit of homework. Like, oh, here we go. Learn Mandarin. <laughs> How on earth? Am I meant to learn Mandarin? <laughs> and so she says, yep, I want everyone here to go home and learn Mandarin. What? <laughs> this isn't like go home and learn how to do the dishes or go home and learn how to make. Learn We still haven't learned lang- that. Thank you very much. Learn a completely different language, one of the most complex dialects on earth. <laughs> Did you learn anything? No. I know how to say hamburger. Well, that's Isn't it humbalbal? Humbaba. No, Humbaba. I don't know if that's Mandarin I or not. I don't, I don't know. have the slightest clue, but that's not going to help you in a zoo. <laughs> yeah, but Hello, this friends, is, look at this hamburger. But this is the thing, right, is that we are so reliant on the international market. Oh, it, it is crazy. And so what happened after the, the, the Japanese fall um, is I my job was to also try and get in the local market within the zoos and that's when I thought of the education. Why are we not tapping into the education market? It is crazy. And so, yeah, it, it, the zoos weren't interested in that time. They are now, which is really great. I'm totally stoked that, that everyone's come on board. But for them, they had to learn those lessons with the crash of the international market to realize that it's our, actually our own backyard that keeps us running and keeps us alive. And I think we've seen alive. that since COVID because we had now the Chinese market is – just collapsed completely when COVID first came out. And we've seen, because I work in tourism now, as you know, doing guiding, and all of the locals, that's our bread and butter now. We need locals. Not only that, but we needed Australians. So in January uh, 2020, they launched a huge campaign. This was after the bushfires. Come and holiday in Australia. Spend your money on Australians, and we need locals to support us. And then obviously COVID came in, and then it's like, Support Queenslanders. Mm. And then as the more restrictions come in, support North Queenslanders because they're asking the locals to come to, whether it be an aquarium, a zoo or a hotel, and they're plummeting prices, begging people to come in just to save their business. Mm. Yeah, look, it's it's certainly really hard. And, and it's been hard for my business too because being an education um you know, obviously restrictions are in place as well and, and they have to um, follow protocol. And so it has been very difficult for, for our business as well. But zoo to you, so we, I, oh, I can't even remember. Well, I'm going into my 15th year next year. So 15th year next year true, uh, in, in 2022, it, 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 is, it is mental. And, look, I have to say it's running your own business. It, <laughs> I, I don't – oh, man <laughs> – Running your own business is one of the hardest things I've ever done, and I've got three children because the thing is is it becomes – for me it was quite personal, and this is something that I had to learn very quickly is to take out – and I didn't learn very quickly, by the way. I had to take out a lot of emotions when it came to business, Um, and so now I get it, but it took probably eight years to understand how to run a business. I didn't necessarily have the mentor's 
when I first started to be able to run a business. I had the mentors within the industry, how to present, how to, um, you know, I designed my programs and my talks and, and so forth, but actually how to market, how to run the business, how to run your sheets, have profit and loss statements, understanding your numbers, um, how to stay out of bankruptcy. And I'm going to be honest, and I've said this very openly before, I believe it's uh, I it was three times I was on the verge of being bankrupt. Like I I, I was dragging money out of my mortgage to put back into my business. That's scary, isn't it? It, it was scary, and there were plenty of times where I was like, I can't do this anymore. Plenty of times, but just when I was um, at that point of being exhausted, someone came into my life to inspire and motivate me, a mentor, or I, um, when I could, I invested in coaching and that's what's happened in the last seven years. And, and yeah, hence why now I'm able to actually go into my 15th year. I think coaching and mentoring in any way of our life is really, really important, regardless of what you do. It's really, really, really important because I learned how to run the business properly as a business take my emotions out of it and then be able to grow it. And I, I mentored staff to be able to deliver, deliver my programs as well. And this was beautiful too, meeting people who have the same passion or similar passion, or I could see in them their spark and then allowing them to grow and allowing them to um, put forth what they love in their own way. And then I was able to mentor them to, to shine and, and to go and deliver that content. And, you know, like that's really beautiful and important to see. It's it, My business isn't about me. It's just that I had the courage to start it. I had the courage to continue it and to create all the programs. But I can't run this alone. And so bringing in other presenters and bringing in other people who want to educate, go to classrooms um, meet and greet people, have a chat about our wildlife and mentor them to be able to, to shine bright as well. So I think that's really cool. COVID did put a spanner in the works there, but not, not a spanner. It was like a full toolbox got thrown in the works. That was, <laughs> this is back most... to us again, but oh, for now, for now, the craziest thing. It yeah. still is. <laughs> yeah. We had Andre. He was amazing. And you know, the loveliest bloke. And, and with Andre, he, um, he was like this gentle giant and being able to go into early childhood and, be a male in early childhood is very rare, by the way. And the way that he was able to present and, and nurture the kids and get them to fall in love with a, a blue tongue lizard or a snake and was, it is, it's a, it's special. And it's actually really hard to do, especially working with early childhood. He's a, he's a completely different kind oh, of Oh, he's so cool. Yeah, such, such a beautiful soul and very soft and very comfortable and like a really nice welcoming guy, you know, very sensitive as well. So yeah, he, he suited that and, and watching mm. him grow. Oh, I'm sitting on the sidelines over here. Watching him grow was amazing. Yeah. Definitely seeing that growth in people. And this is the thing is that when we work in zoos or you have your own business with wildlife and I'm just talking about wildlife here because most people listening will be either in the industry or love of wildlife, but you can, you can create this with your own um, work, line of work as well. It's all about um, seeing something in someone else that that you believe that they're able to be better than the next day than they were the day before and allowing them to shine, allowing them to have the courage to actually step forth in a new sort of 
I don't know, like not a new path, but being able to, does this make sense? Grow. Grow. Like, and, and this is something that I did experience at times throughout my career is that some people just want to dim your light because they, they believe that that's going to, if you shine, that's going to dim theirs, Mm. but it, it, it's not true. You actually like all the people that I mentor and train in the end, I'm so friggin' proud. I'm so proud because it's, it's not about me. It's about our bigger picture, which is about education, which is about wildlife. And then now you've just mentored four or five other people to be able to go out there and deliver this content or be able to talk to someone or inspire and motivate others. So it's all about working together to, for, for the greater good. It's not about us individually. I mean, yes, we have our own individual goals, obviously. That's a given. Um, but, yeah. Awesome. So tell me, from zoo to you, you've developed it, you've grown it, you've mentored people along the way. How did this Australian wildlife education come into play? Because this is obviously a new branch of the tree. Mm. Yes, the tree. So in 2019, I... Um, so I actually lost my dad eight years ago, by the way, um, to a horrible cancer, and I watched um, him suffer within the medical system. And I also, we had some really, really tough conversations during that time, and I I learned a lot about myself um, in the moment of helping my dad pass. And what I realized back then was, okay, there – life isn't really how I believe it is. I don't know. I don't want to get all conspiracy here, but, but when, when I was watching my dad and also being in the medical system and listening and watching it all, I started to ask questions, right? I also started to look at the way I was living. So how, what I was putting in my body, what I was putting on my body, what I was putting in my house, around my house, all that sort of thing. And sometimes it takes, a, a tragedy or, or something really full on to wake us up. And m- my dad's death woke me up. So I started to investigate in all sorts of different ways. So this has been a journey of like eight years since he passed away. And so in 2019, I went and did something different. Um, but it was a couple of years into that, you know, journey of how, how do we, how do we live healthy? I did breath work, which, and, and, and a sound journey. So breath work and sound journey, if you're unsure about it, you could just Google it. But it was something totally new to me. I was really nervous going into doing it because I, I, I don't know. I don't even know what this is. Like, what do you mean we're doing this and I've got to listen to this and it takes you to a meditative kind of state, whatever. And I'm not joking you, but after two hours I came out and I, I thought it was 10 minutes, but it was two hours. I quickly, when I came out of this meditation, I wrote down everything that is now currently in place. And so what I saw was my current business, zoo to you online and I saw how I could actually help teachers further in delivering the content. I saw it so clear as day as if it was literally real in front of me right then and I wrote everything down. So this was January, February 2019. So all of 2019 I started developing um, Australian Wildlife Education, which is the, the online version of my zoo to you. So wildlife shows were all in there, teacher professional development, worksheets, I started developing it. Um, A lot of it was just concept stuff to start off with. Then I started to get it filmed. Then in 2020, COVID hit and I rushed it to be finished. 
still actually haven't finalized some things. I've, I've realized what needs to be changed. But during that COVID time um, and lockdown here in Australia, I just started doing um, a Facebook group. And, you know, I, I did it mainly to try and get the communities to still just be upbeat and let's still learn and let's still do shows. So I did wildlife shows every day. Help in the that. parents out who help, were struggling with homeschool. Help the parents out who were struggling with homeschool. Um, just have a break even. And so then I started to invite people into the group to do do talks like Jamie Seymour about box jellyfish, which was friggin' awesome. That was amazing. That um, just a dead set genius. Oh, isn't he? Brett Goodband from the aquarium talking about um, sharks or talking about what coral is. Man, he's the funniest guy on how to explain what coral is. And, you know, kid-based, but then we started to get a little bit adult talk as well. And I really enjoyed it. I loved it. And someone said, all these talks, what are you going to do with them? I was like, oh, I'll just put them in my online portal and people can access that. And someone said, you should do a podcast. And I thought that was a friggin' crazy idea on top of everything else. And anyway, after a while, when we started to get back into things kind of normal, after about six months or so, I actually missed it because I love talking to people. I love learning. I love... A lot of people reached out to me saying they're missing it too. Yeah. And I, I really enjoyed learning different things, but meeting different people and then putting it forward. But what I personally really enjoyed is, is it more from that adult level? I love the kid level, but that's everything I do during the day is I go to schools and early childhood. And so I'm working with kids all the time. So I kind of wanted to then go, well, if I'm going to do a podcast, I want it at, you know, teenage level to adult level, which has turned out to be more adult level. So yeah, it's then this started wild chats. It's interesting, you know, yeah. A lot of people say, oh, you know, why do you do a podcast, you know, so you can highlight the people that can... It is dead set the best learning resource oh, for us. So good. I've learned so much about even just listening to some of them and being involved in some of the podcasts. I, I couldn't mm. imagine. And, you know, all of a sudden you're having these lengthy conversations with um, Jamie Seymour about uh, the toxin of a box jellyfish compared to an inland taipan. And then next thing you know, you're speaking to you know, Brian Ross about cockatoos and oh, he's yeah. upbringing and it's just I love blowing how much I love stuff people's you can learn. stories. It's the stories oh, behind it. Like how did you get here? Why are you doing this? What have you done? And then then teaching us something about what it is that you do. Like, you know, with Jamie Seymour with the box jellyfish or um Brett at the aquarium or Christine. Like Christine, you know, just finished uni from the aquarium and, and she's She's so she's in her young t- early twenties and just okay. so keen and motivated. <laughs> so and I'm like, yes, I was like that. I so see that in you. Like, shine, like spread that. Yeah. I think it's just beautiful. And there's so many people that have reached out to us after listening to the podcast, which has been so amazing. Mm. I mean, it warms my heart to hear these people that are saying, "Hey, I learned a lot about this. Hey, I'm really enjoying the podcast." Yeah. So, if anyone listening, thank you. But also, <laughs> um, let us know if there's any you know, specific field or if you're getting mm. something out of it or you want to get something out of it. Because obviously interviewing people in the field and finding out their story is also quite motivating for ourselves. Mm. Podcasts weren't a thing when I was a young fella, but being a zookeeper, I would have been all I love podcasts. I absolutely love listening to them myself, but then creating this. Uh, look, I'm, I'm going to be honest, like it's, it's, a, it's a juggle. It's expensive for me to run um, and then trying to get – other people and coordinating time and everything. So the the effort of doing a weekly podcast is a 
a big it's job. Full <laughs> it's full on. It's not like, oh, yeah, we'll just sit down for an hour and have a yard. No. <laughs> there's a lot to it. And by the way, there's actually parts of this we've had to edit out because Moose, our dog, was chewing a bone. So <laughs> there's, there's a lot to it. And then he started playing with Roxy and then they were yapping. Oh, man. But this is the thing, right, is that our journey and our story is so amazing and unique and I think bringing forth that because people think, oh, she's got – Let's just say with me. I've actually had people say, yeah, but you've got to, you make it look so easy and you've got a business and you must make a lot of money. No, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) You must be able to do this and this. But the thing is, is it comes down to our mindset, the challenges that we face, the resilience that we create, and then how to actually have the courage, the motivation to push through all of that with adversity. And and every single day, every single day, Matt, you even know this, is I have to push myself at times to do my job. I'm a mum, wife, friend, you know, and, and in your own business, you're your own marketer, you're your own social media, your your own, you know, banker and I remember the other day I said accountant. To you, I was like, Hey Joe, what are you doing tonight? You know, do you want to sit down and watch a movie? You're like, ah, yeah, well, I've got a bit on. I've got to and you rattled off like fifty things and I'm sitting there thinking, All I've got to do is like have a shower <laughs> <laughs> But I didn't say that. <laughs> Man, yeah, I probably you would are, have given you, you the look. Crazy. But the thing is, right, is right now Right now, in this moment, things are changing so fast. We are the 22nd, I'm guessing, 22nd 22nd of October October 2021. Things are changing so fast. I, I'm, I'm leaving you today, by the way. I'm, I'm heading up to what? our, yes. Oh, okay. I was like, <laughs> I was like, wow, that is a really public, uh, <laughs> now I'm heading up to Melanda, to yes, our beautiful rainforest block. And that's, and when I'm up there, I actually get to, there's no internet, there's no nothing. And sitting in my rainforest and that's where my creativeness comes forward. And so I'm going there for the next couple of days because I feel that right now is really important for me to get and, and finalize my Australian wildlife education slash zoo to online portal. And so that's designed to help teachers. One thing I find is one teachers are really, really freaking busy. I've got to then go on and teach themselves, oh, what is a reptile? What is a mammal? What is this? What is it? What are adaptations? What does that even mean? And then how do I teach my kids about that? And then how do we assess it? So I'm a qualified teacher as well. So I've come in and I've created all this stuff for teachers, like the work's done for you. And so now I've got to go out there and figure out a creative way to market it to schools. So not only am I restricted to the cans now because you know it's online i can go australia wide new zealand i can go around the world if you really want this i can create it to to then take that to around the world you mentioned that you're going to go to melanda just for everyone's clarity who's listening batman let's just say batman okay saving the world fighting crime beating up all the baddies all that kind of stuff hey i'm getting somewhere but you know what after he's had a big day of it where's he go he goes to his bat cave he sits down, oh, right. he reassesses, he goes, right, my body armour didn't work in this case, we need to design a new body armour, uh, we need to get a new car, we need to do all... And he sits there in his space and he is motivated and he is inspired and he thinks and he's in his place. Melanda is your backhead. Yes, that is Except my backhead. Melanda is one hectare of rainforest and a 1970s renovated caravan sitting in the middle with no power. 
It is amazing. Set, the best back cave ever. Um, <laughs> and I'm going up there next amazing. week. Amazing. You're going to stay here. I'm going to go up there for three days and sit in my back cave. Yes. Yeah. I think it's really important that we have that. Someone reached cave. out to me this morning um, uh, just, just about ha- reassessing and, and thinking, is reassessing something or reevaluating something a bad thing? Because yesterday I thought this, but today I think this. It's like, no, absolutely not. Sometimes we actually need that headspace of a bat cave or our own little area of retreat. Everyone needs a bat cave. Yes. Whether it's a national park that you go for a walk in and turn your <laughs> yep. phone off, everyone find your bat cave. Yes, because that's where we allow ourselves to be. And, and for, for me, it's connecting with nature. So I sit out in the rainforest and I just watch the wallaby, little paddy melons hopping by, or I listen to the whip birds or the, like feeling the rain coming and, and we make the title of this podcast. Where is your back cave? Oh, yes. Do it. Where is your back cave? What? (laughs) (laughs) And they'll be listening for, I don't know, what's it been like half an hour, 40 minutes going? Where is the reference yeah. to a back cave? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's another thing that I've learned along my journey is being okay with that. Like I'm leaving you tonight with Good. the kids and the animals and the zoo and everything, but I'm okay with that because it's it's a necessity. Was I okay with that a few years ago? Hell no, because it's a society thing to be uh, um, a societal kind of expectation that, well, you're – a woman, you're a mum, you're yeah. a, you're a, that reminds me a of something. business owner, you should be this, you should be doing this, like all the shoulds. But it wasn't until someone then came to me and said, what in God's name are you doing? You're going to be dead by the age of 45. There's nothing wrong with taking your own time. Do you remember when I said, um, hey, Jodes, I'm just going to Amazon for a couple of weeks? <laughs> and you're like, yeah, cool. And then everyone around us is like, why, why are you going with it? Oh, because Matt wants to go to the Amazon. Um, I've already been. Why aren't you going? Because yeah. you don't have to be attached to the hip. No. Not at all. Find your back cave. Yeah. But also and find some independence as well. Yes, that's it. But but the independence then comes to like for for me, I don't have that insecurity. Um, I've worked on that. Man, I'll tell you what, working with certain coaches like Tom Cartwright and Andrew Pierce. Geez, they were they they've really helped me to be able to be secure in I don't know like me who I am what I do and you being able to say hey I'm just gonna head to the Amazon for a month it's I'm not like, like I'm okay. going to the shop to get milk like I'm literally crossing <laughs> cool. the world and I want to find out go and have fun but this is who are we to say that you can't go who am I to say that you can't go that's freaking ridiculous mm. if I'm if I like I was going to Africa remember without you yeah I know. <laughs> That was cool. But then you invited me. That was even cooler. <laughs> Purely because I'd never been there. And I was like, oh, no, we should have that as our honeymoon. Because, mm. yeah. And then that was like, hey, Matt, you should propose so then we can get married so then we can use it as our honeymoon. I did not. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm oh, kidding. my God. <laughs> Africa was amazing, though. Oh. We've done some travels, to tell you what. Um, South America was amazing when we when we did it together. Well, you you went back. Let's stop right there. Give me your top five wildlife experiences. Oh, top five. Yeah. You, it doesn't have to be in any order, yeah. but you have to start at number five and work your way to number one. Okay. 
Well, no, no, no order because that. Give me your top five. Because no I'm, I'm a thinker, so that means I'd sit here for a while. So, so de- coming to your mind right now. Go. Definitely. Well, the gorilla is the number one. Mm. So We're there was there was two two, two incidences. There was the incidents. That terrible. Two I went to Africa and had an incident for gorilla. Two <laughs> moments. So um, the first time I went was 11 years ago. Was it 11, 12 years ago? And I went on my own and I joined a tour and that was amazing. Mm. So that was. Um, trekking and and do you want to know what the best part was and this i believe this happened this time too yes. is that when we were trekking you don't actually get to see the gorillas first you get <laughs> to hear them <gasps> oh my god the first time i heard that and then the the noises i just uh, tears just came straight away my whole body had tingles I was just like, holy shit, I've made it. Because I've always wanted to be in the rainforest with gorillas. This was my thing. And so 11, 12 years ago when I went and I trekked for hours trying to find them and, you know, I'm not the most fittest person, and hot rainforest, thick rainforest. It's the most special, amazing this moment. This is just thick rainforest. This is mud up to your knees rainforest. It, is <laughs> it was hardcore. amazing. But then it definitely was the second time I went to Africa was the lion's. Um, oh, when the interaction, that was pretty cool. The interaction that we had, so our our guide was absolutely amazing. He he, and he was allowed to do this. We were on a little bit private property, I believe. Oh, this is, he could uh, go off the path in Magashi? his yeah, Magashi. Yes. Yeah, Adrian. Adrian. So he took he took the car. What a um, great guide, though! Oh, what a great guide. He's like, no, no, no. I know they're through here. So we went off the beaten track. Just one sec. I've never seen a man pull over a car, get out, pick up a piece of grass, and then identify what chewed the grass. Oh like, my that god, was incredible. it was it was incredible. Was going, Jesus, this bike's a freak. And we went on an adventure that we we fell down. The car fell down a oh, um, armadillo hole. Armadillo whatever. hole. Yeah, oh, and, then, and then he's like, oh yeah, we need someone to push. I'm thinking. Um, I'm pretty sure we're searching for lions. The grass is up to my – yeah, sure, I'll, I'll get out and push. I may die, but let's do it. Oh, man, <laughs> that was – I'm hole. like, I'll just stay right here. Oh, I had to push it out. Wild. And then we came across them and seeing the females with their cubs – in that first part with the long grass. Yes. Yeah. <gasps> that was amazing. And that little cub came out and just oh, sat there looking at us and then ran off. Oh, my God. And then we finally found the the the, the big opening area and they oh, were all yeah. there and they played. We sat there for over an hour. Yeah, that was pretty cool. And this was amazing is that there was no one else around. It was just us. So the, how many of us were in the car? Like oh, six, six yeah, or seven yeah, of us. Yeah, maybe eight. Yeah. And there was no other car. There was no – literally we had this moment all to ourselves. We all sat so quietly and just in our own moments in this – in the open um, – what do you call it? Truck. It's like a truck. Yeah. And we just watched these uh, – the lionesses retreat from, from the young ones. We watched the teenagers teach the little cubs how to – pounce and how to you know they were all wrestling each other and then you saw this one little cub come over to the waterhole and get a little adventurous and then fall in the mud and it was just so beautiful that was one of one of the highlights so we've got three highlights so far I thought that was just two. Oh, you put the gorillas as one together? Yeah, I, I think both gorilla experiences because then we did the two treks with you yeah, and me. So right. gorillas in, so in general. you gorilla treks. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. And then the lions. Um, do you want the whale sharks in oh, South America my. when we're in Galapagos? <sighs> So we were you. You actually <laughs> weren't feeling well. So you were laying. You were laying in bed because he had the man flu. So it was like the end of the friggin' world. Best cure for the man flu: whale sharks. Whale sharks. <laughs> and so I, I think we, we 
you, you were, we're like just resting. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll come come and watch a movie. And we we're laying there, and the next minute, you know, the boat was like a doof. Yeah, the whole like, thing. What is on. that? I was like, my God, we've hit an iceberg <laughs> in Galapagos. <laughs> And then the next minute, you know, the, the horn was going of the boat. And we're like, oh, my God, or something. So we all run out. And then they're going, whale sharks. And we all. We ran to the very front of the, the boat. Front. Right? Yeah, the front. And we were front. hanging. And we, yeah, we leant over. And then oh I just God. remember seeing those big dots coming out of the water. And you're like, what? <gasps> it was. Oh, that was mental. Oh, man. It was one of the most special moments. Because there, there wasn't just one. It yeah, was, it was like three or four no, of them. Was, was it? Like six or seven of them. And they were all just feeding and watching them feed and be literally like a meter away. And we were just laying over, like hanging over the, the front of the you boat, kind of like the Titanic. Close. Um, but laying down and then watching them feed and being so close and just everyone being in their moment was absolutely amazing. And just to clarify, those things are massive. Oh, huge. I remember seeing like the little head pop up. I'm like, wow. And then eight meters behind or something, this tail pops up. And you're like, what? That's so incredible. <laughs> well, that is mental. Oh, oh cool. man. Right, yeah, so yeah. So that's three. Oh, man. I don't know. Where else have I been? We've been uh, so, oh, cool so obviously the orangutan experience. I was actually really young. I was in my, I think I was like 21 when I went to Borneo um, and trekking through the rainforest. So we, we just, we went to Sumatra and when um, Steve and I, my partner at the time went to Sumatra, they had just come out of the civil war. And so it was really distressing um, or whatever civil war was going on. I, I can't even remember now, but it was like full third world countries most likely still is, but to that to that point was really horrible. Um, and so we went over and we trekked in the rainforest to be able to find the gorilla, like um, um, orangutans, and we stayed overnight in like just laying on the rainforest. Yeah, I wouldn't do that now because I'm really frightened of spiders and all sorts, but back then I was like brave. You get massive spiders over there, right? Oh, my gosh, huge. Yeah, they like to pick you up and take you back to their home. Not as big as the ones that we saw in South America. Yeah. Yeah, in the Amazon is, um, or <laughs> yeah, those, those ones were massive in the Amazon. Yeah. But yeah, um, so definitely seeing the orangutans and being able to trek in the rainforest and you know stay overnight in the rainforest, no idea where the hell we are. Um, those sort of experiences. But you know, do you know what? Even here in Australia, like a lot of these are a big overseas ones, but <clears throat> here in Australia, seeing the platypus. Oh, at um. Yungula or Yungabara, right here yeah, in North yeah. Queensland, platypus seeing the platypus, having them, like you see a little ripple and then all of a sudden he pops up and he's on the top. How was that one in the clear water oh. at Yungula? And he was like a jet. Amazing. Bunker down. Just yeah. Like, I've never been, water. I've never seen them. Uh, I've always seen them in dirty, murky mm. water. You don't see so in Yungula, it was clear, crystal clear water and seeing them swim underwater like yeah, that. Yeah, really? was amazing. Look, we, we, we just, we just finished a trip. Um, around Queensland. Around Queensland, which was amazing. Well, around a little bit of Queensland. Yeah. We're like, yeah, let's spend a month driving around Queensland. That's impossible. Oh, man. Unless you don't stop. <laughs> but we did, oh, quarter of Queensland? Oh, you know, we just, Australia is absolutely amazing, the country. But look, this this is really cool for me. It's driving along and it's like complete dry outback and then seeing an emu running along with a chick. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Like, that's really cool. Yeah. Like, there's so many, obviously. It's it's really hard. But one thing is that I I believed and, and thought that I would end up working with exotic animals, maybe being a researcher in, in Africa. And But then I fell 
into working with, with Australian animals and our animals are absolutely unique and amazing. But it doesn't matter where you go, people want to see exotic animals. So if you live in Africa mm. with gorillas, you're like, man, I really want to come and see this kookaburra. Kookaburra. <laughs> like, kookaburra. And they're like, yeah, like that thing's mental. It's a kingfisher that's huge. And you think, oh, yeah, I had one in my backyard yesterday. <laughs> but, but yeah, no matter where you live in this world, people want to see the exotic animals, right? Yeah. So, yeah, sometimes we do take for granted what we've got in our backyard. Like one of my Absolutely. favorite wildlife encounters of all time was Cahill's Crossing, seeing some crocodiles. Oh, yeah, and you know we saw sixteen in one spot. It was I, still, if I see a crocodile in the wild now, I'm oh, so excited. It's so exciting. Oh. It's really exciting to see these animals in the wild. So we we work a lot with them in captivity. But then one thing about us is is we are we outside of our work, we live and breathe nature. And we're amongst it. You're out looking for it all the time. You're also a tour guide, um, taking people around our beautiful, beautiful North Queensland area, seeing animals and wildlife. And one thing I love about nature, and this is what I teach the kids too, it's not just about what we see. It's what we hear. It's what we feel. Um, And I get the kids, and I usually do this with my bird, but I get the kids to close their eyes and just listen for a moment and when you close your eyes your ears open up naturally it's our way it's our body it's your senses it's, You'll it's, one from. yeah to to keep us safe but in the moment if we close our eyes right now we can hear the lorikeets we can hear the rain actually coming down the mountain range there mm. and it's sunny still <laughs> and it is sunny um you can hear a lizard rustling over there which i did hear and you can you can hear the birds calling but not necessarily see them right so it's Experiencing nature is about hearing it and then how our body feels. How does your body feel when you're standing in the middle of a rainforest or your feet in the sand or um, it's just it, it's coming back to that and then also teaching others that it's not just about what you see. Here in North Queensland, obviously you can take people on a tour and you may not necessarily see a lot. Very hard to see animals in the rainforest. A lot of people yes. go to the Daintree thinking there's going to be like a crocodile, an emu, a cassowary, and a kangaroo in one spot. It's not Africa. You have to <laughs> really look. And that's the thing that surprises a lot of people when they come here. They think the Daintree is like the rainforest of the world. You know, you come here and see all these animals. No. It's really difficult. So on tour, for me, I tell people to shut their eyes all the time. And particularly mm. when the, we're in uh, this place called Jindalba Boardwalk, loaded with um, wampoos. And uh, I get people... What to, is a wampoo? A wampoo fruit dove. And I get people to uh, close their eyes and listen because they go, and then <laughs> Do it again. That is literally the only time I'm ever going to do that. <laughs> but uh, I get the guests to do it as well. I say, when you hear this noise, try and replicate it. And it, it's hilarious. So people are like, wampoo. <laughs> <laughs> and it's... It's, it's great. But um, also when we do nocturnal walks as well, we turn the lights off and we just sit Yeah. There. And you can hear the little possums, you know, high up in this big fig tree scratching around having a feed. And you can hear a sooty owl screaming. It's, yeah, it's now, great. I want to I showcase a, a couple of the tour companies that you contract yourself out to. Um, tell us a little bit about James and his his company. Yeah, James, we featured James on a podcast. So if you are interested in FNQ Nature Tours, then by all means, uh, look that one up. But yeah, he is he's an interesting character. I mean, he's been a tour guide for many, many years through Outback Australia, now in tropical North Queensland. And he runs uh, FNQ Nature Tours, very, very small uh, company that specializes in private tours. 
And he's all about oh, his his logo, his slogan is uh, big experience, small group, mm. or small group, big experience. And he he's a huge advocate for less people on tour, more um, interaction with nature. Absolutely. So rather than being on a chain with like 50 people walking and the tour guy is just pointing at stuff and walking, it's all about immersion in, mm. in the rainforest. And so he, he attracts those clients who want that. And, and and don't get us wrong, there are people who would rather just be on the bigger tours, which is fine, perfect yeah. and, for and you. And there's people that like uh, they want to spend less money mm. and they want to just tick things off, say, yep, yeah, I've been to the day tree. But yeah. if, if you really want to immerse yourself in the environment and experience it on a bigger level than just looking at something and taking a photo for Instagram, then James's company is a huge one. And, yeah. and for me, I... Um, was inspired to become a tour guide. There's a long story behind that. But um, when I started working, I contacted a few different companies and said, hey, I have my own uh, ABN, my own business. I want to contract work for uh, you. And then I realized very quickly, well, it's interesting. I only got two hits, two companies offered um, to interview me and potentially take me on board. And these weren't the big companies that you'd expect. You know, uh, huge tour companies were like, sorry, your application did not proceed further in this job opportunity. And I was like, okay, well, that's not what I was doing. I was actually contacting you to chat about, you know, potential business. James mm-hmm. FNQ Nature 2 has reached out and said, I'd love to catch up and have you on board. I've been working for him for, I think, two years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love working with a small group. of And he's so people. knowledgeable. This is the thing is that it's not just about, oh, this is a Boyd's Forest Dragon and blah, 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 blah. It's the bigger picture. It's where it's found, why it's, in, you know. Well, it's not even his knowledge, but it's his interpretive skills, yes. which is, as we said before, mm-hmm. you can put words on a piece of paper, but how you explain it. When he talks about a Boyd's Forest Dragon, you feel like you are sitting on the side of the tree with it, living <laughs> with this animal. Like It makes you feel like you're part of the ecosystem, which is cool. And he always uses small operators in conjunction with these tours, such as Solar Whisper, which is just sensational. Amazing. But another company that I've started working for is Anala Nature Tours. So they actually reached out to me. They're based in Tasmania. They reached out and said, yes, we would love to chat. And I'm thinking... Wow, this is like crazy. This this company in Tasmania wants to talk to me. Okay, and because I dived in the deep end by reaching out to these companies, I was so uncomfortable. <laughs> and uh, because I'd never done tour guiding before, and uh, they reached out, and the owner of Anala Nature Tours came to Cairns to interview me and have a chat. And her name's Tonya Cochran, and man, she is like so high up in the wildlife industry. I was terrified. <laughs> I was so nervous. And these were birding tours. And I'd only really been interested in birds for maybe a year or so. I was still very raw in my knowledge and I was so uncomfortable. You're now the biggest bird nerd, oh, by the way. So I so I really, like, I just jumped out of that comfort zone because that's where change happens and I had a crack. Hell yeah. And, um, yeah, since then I, I work for them as their North Queensland bird guide. And uh, just recently in July, I was fortunate enough, well, I, I sort of got hired at the start of COVID, which was yeah. really difficult. I don't know how many tours I've been put on and cancelled, <laughs> but um, we actually got to run one in um, June, July. One person, me and one person, 10 days, wet tropics birding. Amazing. Mental. There's one person. <laughs> how like, amazing. Oh, You get so paid cool. to do and connect with nature and share it. Well, people say, oh, why do you go tour guide? I'm like, man, I get paid to find birds, show someone a bird, photograph a bird, and eat at really cool places <laughs> and have really cool conversations. And cool conversations yeah. and meet people who are like-minded because these people coming on the the, the tours like James or, or James's or Anala, mm. um, they do pay a little extra for that more personalised experience. Definitely. 
But everyone has the coolest story. Yeah, well, it's interesting. And their experience. For James, he is the most expensive Daintree tour Mm. uh, for for a day tour. But it's high end. And, you know, we've, like, you look at TripAdvisor, for instance, he's got like 85 star reviews. Mm. Not one person has reached out and said they didn't think it was worth the money. Mm. It is. It is a little bit more expensive, but the reward, the return, is something you'll never forget. Mm. And and I'll, we've had people, we've been fortunate enough to have people to say that was the best tour they've ever had in their life. Yep. And these are people that have been to Africa and done this and done that. But people don't realise when you go to Africa, you see these photo of a cheetah eating, you know, a, a gazelle or whatever. You, you don't realise behind a the camera, there's a hundred cars that are lining up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they go, this is your five minutes, take it. And yep. then you've got five minutes to photograph the like, yep. Next. And it's a, it's like... What? It's a, it's, that, you don't realise what's happening behind the scenes in Africa. Yeah. We're fortunate enough to go to a quiet area. But well, we paid, but this is the thing, Matt, is we paid a lot of money yeah. to be able to experience nature mm. in its fine, like, and, and not have 50 people around us. Yeah. And this is why, so we also want to showcase Dr. Tammy Matson. She's absolutely amazing. She's yeah. her work and what she does over in Africa, but she's also working I believe on some amazing tours within Australia or working with some people to try and get some, yeah. some, some I don't think up, I've ever actually been on a big tour. Uh, I feel really I have, about being it, around a lot of people. I have. And yeah, it's, it's, this is why I'd prefer mm. to hunt out the people who one, they give back to um, the community and the country that we're going to. And, um, and also have that experience of why are you going there? Like, yeah, cool. You want, if you just want to tick and flick, cool. That's the experience you get. But if you want to actually experience the big hike to see the gorilla, that's the journey. It's not just about seeing the gorilla. It's the journey of getting to the gorilla. If your tour guide doesn't know your name, there's too many people. It's <laughs> yeah. as simple as that. Um, I also want to mention cockatoos. Oh, yes. Brian Ross. Yeah. I, I'm amazing. I don't even know how that bloke popped in my life, hey, but he's another fella up here doing amazing work in far north Queensland. He does tours up to Cape York, mm. and I'm yet to go on a tour or have much to do with his tours, but from a distance of mm. watching, you know, online and chatting to him, getting to know the guy, man, <laughs> that bloke is unbelievable. Him and James are just yeah. So look out, North, north Queensland, look out. Seriously. These guys are in their 30s. And they are like the future of tourism. Yeah, absolutely. And COVID, if it's taught us anything, it is big operators, people are looking for private, small, high-end experiences. They want to spend money because they haven't traveled in a while and they don't want to be inundated with people, right? The social distancing, the crowds, people don't like that. Mm. People really want to be in a small, intimate experience. Yeah. Cockatoos, Anala Nature Tours, FNQ Nature Tours, yeah. Yep. they are the Big players at the moment, and, and as I can't you said, wait to see them grow comes comes down to interpretation, hundred percent presentation. Mm. Um, so we've just done a whole big loop there, and yeah. So I remember um, doing this trip with. So I just want to quickly tell you a story. The first tour I ever did with FNQ Nature Tour is like, man, I don't have experience as a tour guide. I've experienced a wildlife educator and a zookeeper, and I've worked in tourism in a few different businesses, but I've never actually run a tour. And uh, James rings me and goes, Matt, I've got this five-day birding tour. They're from America. Um, they really want to see a cassowary. I've just done two days, but I'm, I'm, I'm willing to hand this tour over to you for day three, four, or five. I'm like, ah, the whole comfort zone change happens outside. Let's do it. And he's like, are you sure? <laughs> no, but let's do it. Let's make it happen. So I did. I went and took over this, this tour. And hindsight, 
I've been doing tours now for two years, I look back and go, that was still the hardest tour I've ever done. <laughs> Purely based on the the dynamics of the group and, and the needs and man, very, very intelligent people. Quite challenging actually. But um, but yeah, it was perfect for me to dive in because mm. it was dead set sink or swim moment. And I had these five people and I distinctly remember taking over the tour and introducing myself and I could just see them looking at me and they're thinking Let's challenge this bloke. <laughs> he looks green. And man, did they challenge me. They threw so many, so many complex biological inquiries my way. It was intense. You survived. Well, I did. But you know what they said to me? Matt, just to clarify, we've come all the way from America to see a cassowary. So we need to see a cassowary. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, right over in the Dane tree. Like, you can't just walk up to a cassowary tree and pick off a cassowary. Like, they're, they're really hard to find. And, um, I said, yeah, righto, no worries. So I spent the day, didn't find one. And the next morning I said to the guys, look, you're going out on a reef trip off Cape Tribulation. Um, it's a half day. I'm going to come with you, except I would love to go look for a cassowary while you're out there and we can find a, have a good idea of where to go in the afternoon look. And they're like, yeah, okay, no worries. So I was, took, took a hit for the team. Dropped them off, drove like 500 metres down the road to a male and a chick. But I'm on my own, of course. And I'm like, you have got to be kidding. So you found a male cassowary and a chick. And a chick. Like Without your customers. 500 metres down the road, <laughs> I've just left them on. Oh, no. So I have just punted it back to where the group is to grab them and take them down there and stop the reef trip just for, you know, 20 minutes. <laughs> I've got this big game plan. I've come back and they're gone. They've already left for their reef trip. And I'll, this happened in like five minutes. I was mortified. I'm thinking, no, this can't be happening. So... This was on the last afternoon that I've got them before we head back. So the last day was just driving back, really. But this is the last <laughs> afternoon. I'm like, no. So when they come back, I've had lunch and I said, look, I've got some news. You know, I saw a cassowary chick and showed them a photo I took and they were all just like, you are kidding me. <laughs> you need to show us this cassowary. So anyway, I've gone back to the same spot. I spent about five hours at this boardwalk walking, listening, stopping, looking for poo, doing all this kind of stuff, trying to find a cassowary. And they kept asking me, when are we going to see one? When are we going to see one? When are we going to see one? I'm sweating bullets. My heart rate's like 140, just purely scared of disappointment. And anyway, we're walking out, and I must say, all these guests were like 60 to 80 years old, and all of a sudden, we're about 100 metres away from the road on this boardwalk, and I hear this truck (gasps) stop. And I've just thought to myself, there is only very few reasons a truck would stop in the middle of the day tree, and one of them's a cassowary. So I turned around and said to this group, Mind you, there was probably more calcium deposits than people. I said, run. And these people, peg-legged, are just running down this boardwalk. It was hilarious to see. And everyone's like, no way, can it be, can it be? Run out into the road. And my group of five stood there as this male cassowary with his chick, the same one I saw in the morning, walks right in front of us. Everyone's crying. I'm, like, holding back the tears because I'm meant to be, like, you know, some... To a guy, man. (laughs) But I'm like, holy crap, we've done it. And this... Not just that, but it's happened. Everyone's loving it. Everyone's just immersed in this experience. Everyone's shaking. I've got this lady who's like 80 just crying her guts out. And the male cassowary walked right up in front of me, like a metre away. I'm now going, okay, this is the world's most dangerous bird. This is intense. And it just does this... <laughs> With a chick. Huge, does this huge nugget in front of me. Like just nugget? empties its guts yes. on the ground. And if you know anything about cassowary, this is really cool. It's not a nugget. Because it's actually, oh, it's this big sloppy mess. But anyway, it's full of seeds. There are keystone species, seed dispersal, you name it. So the cassowary's walked away and all of a sudden we've now had the experience of the cassowary. We've got an experience with this big poo. And we've got the stick and we've filtered through and we're identifying all the seeds and we're talking about how important this bird is to the rainforest. And it's so That good. is perfect. And after that, I just went, 
yeah, I'm going to do this. Yeah. This is what I want to yeah. do full time. Make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I think I just talked for like 20 minutes about Castro too. That's awesome. <laughs> I love it because these are the these are the experience. It's not Pivotal like moments, as what well, as we were saying, it's the journey. Mm. It's the it's the journey of it all. And um I I do remember talking to Rossi actually on the podcast about um when we interviewed him and and him talking a lot about the journey and about how he takes people, it's not necessarily about getting to um, or seeing the waterfall and taking your Instagram shot. It's the journey of getting to the waterfall. Yeah, it's getting to know each other. It's the chit chat. Hey? It's the it's the smells. It's the feeling. It's the hearing. It's it's everything about that. There's always that too that everything is perfect, and <laughs> I always think that when you see something unusual at the start of a tour it sets the scene for the whole tour. And I remember having this tour, it was two Russians and two Brits. And they were both young couple, like my age, in their 30s. And we're driving along, and this dingo ran out in front of us in the middle of the day on the Capricorn Highway, just north of Cairns. And I just thought to myself, oh, this is going to be one of them. <laughs> we stopped on Rex Lookout, just um, south of Port Douglas, and there's a crocodile sitting on the beach. I still yet to know a tour guide that has seen that before. Mm. They even said to me, hey, it's a crocodile. And I went, nah, it's a log. I got my binos and went, holy crap, it's a crocodile. <laughs> and no, I don't know anyone who has seen a crocodile on that beach before. Yeah. It was unbelievable. Yeah. And then from there, yeah, everything happened. The cassowaries, the boys' forest dragons, the snakes, the peppermint stick insects, the frogs. It was mental. That's awesome. So, yeah, I just love but, you know, we're talking about pivotal moments. And there is moments in our life that just completely shift everything, and you didn't mm. expect it. Remember a guy called Clermont? Oh, Clermont! Ah, oh. he just this random dude oh messaged you and goes, "I would like to do a tour of North Queensland." This is before I've even thought about being a tour guide, and I would like someone to a local to take me out. And we're like, we don't do tours, like. What? And then you said to me, "Hey, you should you should take this guy out. Like he seems interesting." Turns out he's a life coach. A yeah, French but life coach, and he was just. First of all, we were like, "Is he going to like go? Are you going to go out bush and you're not going to come back? You're going yeah, to be murdered." Is he going to murder me? That's the question you had to ask. <laughs> but like, you know, we just just I don't know. There was something about it. Just like, let's do it, Mario. Yes. He's another guy. But getting back to Clement, mm. just for a second, because we did find out that he he is a life coach, and because you you, you took him on a, a tour around North Queensland, you just like drove him around, and 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 you got more than what you thought oh, you ever would I from got more that. Out of that. And he did. He yeah. saw tree kangaroos. I think we saw a cassowary or platypus or something like. We had a great day. Yeah, but like you were meant yeah. to meet. He was. Oh. He came into your. You know path. What he said to me, he goes. Um, you know, because he's life coaching me along the way and all this crazy <laughs> Not that you realised what was happening. Was, I had no idea. But he said to me, he goes, you are meant to be a tour guide. And I was, what? And crazy. He goes, he goes, I have come here to meet you to let you know that you are meant to be a tour guide. And we came straight back here uh, at night to our house. and, and He I had said, dinner with I said, us. Johnny, I'm bringing this guy over for dinner. Like, he is mental like this guy is so incredible yeah first she said man you're gonna love this guy he's oh. like you <laughs> he is out of control so we got pizzas we came home and we just sat there and just had therapy like, oh was, man it was the best was, conversation and, and still like oh that guy his story is amazing he, that's a huge pivot moment for me that was a massive so clement if you're listening here oh, thank you man what a dude and then mario mario Man, I'm doing a wildlife show at a hostel, and this guy comes up to me and says, Hey, man, I've come all the way from Canada. I've come all the way from Canada. And I know I want to see a cassowary. And I was like, Dude, head down here to Innisfail, go to Eddie Bay, guarantee to see a cassowary. 
And he's like, oh, yeah, and trying to write down instructions. I was like, you know what, mate, I'm just going to show you. I'll pick you up tomorrow and I'll drive you down there. I don't even know why I said I'd do that. Drove him down there. And that dude is like one of the greatest, greatest blokes. That's the best way to put it, just a great bloke. And he talked to me about birds and his passion for birds. And, and I wasn't really interested in birds. I was like, yeah, it's reptiles on nothing. <laughs> and uh, he shifted my mindset. Yeah, like, definitely. Man. You came back and you're like, I like birds. I love birds. <laughs> it was I was like, oh, about time. I've been trying for ages. <laughs> but, yeah, that guy really shifted my mindset as yeah. well. So they were the two big people. But I wanted to ask you, what? Are, can you think of some big pivotal moments in your life that have just like one moment, whether it be a day or an hour mm. or two minutes, that have completely grabbed your earth? And just spun that bad boy around. Oh my! Surely they're really? coming to mind right now. Just boom like that. No, not really. Meeting Uncle Brian at a barbecue. Yeah, surely. Boom, yeah, of course. I mean, I, I spoke about that. It was it was de- me. Boom, oh yeah, sure. Around. Okay. Um, so it was definitely Terry Carmichael and mm. Uncle Brian. So you, Uncle Brian was the one who did turn my world upside down because. I borrowed his courage to be able to go ahead and, and create my business myself. I mean, that's that's crazy being able to start a business. And now when I see all these amazing wildlife educators starting their business, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I've, I've got you in the, you know, I've got 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 their back, I'm rooting for them because it's it's so amazing to step into what it is that you want to do, your passion, your, um, your goals, your whatever, but then taking that out into the world. And now is uh, such a great time. I'm pretty sure 2021, 2020, 2021 it's just has been is is pivotal for a lot of people. Things yeah. so much has changed. But if I didn't have no, I, I'm it's not that if I didn't have 2019 already in the process of me starting my online side of things, I do believe I would have created it. Um, but I was lucky enough to be a year ahead of the game there. And 2020, 2021 has kind of shifted a little bit of that. So that's been very pivotal. But there's, look, Matt, so many things because I've been through a lot in my time. Like I mentioned, my dad was very pivotal. Um, yeah, I've been, I've been through relationships that have been, um, Average domestic violence, um, that was very pivotal. The moment of um, an incident that happened was very pivotal in who I am today. And as horrible as it was, it's still really important to that that I went through that because who, who knows, would I be who I am now? I don't know. No idea. But, you know, experiencing – well, actually, let's talk about our beautiful um, rainforest, oh, how, how we, we brought Melanda. That was wild. That was crazy. So that was very pivotal in, in our transition to um, being a little bit more off the grid and Let having the, having the back cave, Let having me, the back cave. How we found our back cave. This is the caption, remember, for the podcast? Have you found your back cave? Yes, we found it. And yep. how we found it was... We were at home, and um, you said, "Hey, Matt." No, we were we were staying up at. Um, hey, hey, hey! I'm going back a little bit further. Oh, here. Right. We're at home, and you saw something on Facebook that said, "Hey, there's been a late cancellation at Tree Oh, yeah, that's right. And um, we were like, um, you know, it's it's half price for five nights, something like that. And you said, "Hey, we should go there." I said, "Yeah, look, I'm working the first three days, but I'll come up for the last couple of days, definitely." So yeah, take kids up there, and I'll I'll join you. <laughs> So anyway, you're up there and I finished work and I headed up there and uh, it was just magic. Yeah, anyway, I'm like, I want to live here. Well, I said to you the next day, I was like, hey, we should go to the to the server and grab a newspaper and just have a look at real estate. Like, we have no money to let this happen. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're going to dream. 
and uh, it was about the we dream. We went to the servo, that mobile, mobile, yeah, at, uh, near Melanda there on the way to Athens. Picked and up the paper. No, there was no paper there. No, remember? that's there right, no there wasn't. There. And then I was like, oh, we're just heading to Melanda, and then we'll go to the news agent. This is a little country town, by the yeah. way, where like it's, you can throw a rock from one side of the town to the other. Yeah, but it's also everything shuts at twelve, and it's a Sunday. No, no, it was Saturday. Was it? Yes, because yes, it was Saturday. So we went to the news agent. The news agent was closed. So then we looked in the window. Yeah, of, next door was a yes. real estate agent. So we looked in the window and we're like, oh, wow, dream, dream, dream. And then this dude just opens the door. He's like, hey, I've been expecting you. And we're like, what? Expecting us? No, yeah, but we were just wondering. And he said, yeah, you guys looking for a rainforest block? We said, well, no, that's not Oh, it's not, not us. us. Yeah, and he said, oh, okay, well, I've come in on my day off because I've got a young couple looking for a rainforest block. And I said, well, can we have a look? <laughs> no, said, he poked his head out and said, unless you want to go have a look. And we looked at each other and went, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he gave us this piece of paper and, and he just told us how to get there. So we just went for a drive. It was like six minutes away. And then mm-hmm. we rocked up and there was this, like, dead set, just a, a little tunnel through the rainforest. Yeah, it was that little driveway tunnel, but it was really. Grown over. Can- yeah, it was, it was overgrown. So we walked through there and the first thing we had was a whip bird and then a rifle bird. No, okay, I've got to paint the picture a little bit better here. Okay. So when we, we parked the car on the, on the roadside there mm-hmm. And all we saw was just rainforest with that little kind of driveway tunnel thing. It's like you're going into Alice in Wonderland. And the kids didn't want to get out of the car. They're like, nah, get out of the car. We're like, cool, you stay there. But as we as we sort of uh, like wound the windows down, we could hear the noise of the birds. And we're like, what? And then we slowly walked up the driveway together and all we heard was the whip birds and the – like we – I believe um, – um, name some other birds. What were rifle birds? Rifle cat birds, birds. Yeah. cat birds, and we just looked. Birds. We just looked at each other and went, "Oh my god!" And and just to paint this picture, it's just like beautiful, thick tropical Proper rainforest. Untouched. Proper untouched. Until you get to like the the, the middle bit, and there was a little little, little tiny clearing. Fifty meters? No, nah, not even. No, nah, like thirty meters by thirty meters. A tiny little clearing. Not even. No, nah, it's not even that. And they'd only just chopped all the trees down. It was just piles of trees in this little clearing. Yeah, so we guessed that somebody was going to build maybe a little shack yeah, or something. Just pulled the pin on it. Yeah, but and we just looked at each other and went, "Oh my god, this is this is ours. Let's do it." Let's do it. No money. Let's do it. <laughs> so we, we we quickly rung our friend who's a broker and we're like, "How do we do this?" And we put an offer in that. No, the, no, next, the next day. day. The next day, we wanted him to show us the block, so he came out and showed us. That's right. And then yeah. I said, "I'll call you later." So I called him and I was like, "Here's an offer," and he said, "It no. was amazing." And then I was like, oh, "Okay, well, what do you want?" And then he said, "Oh, look." This kind of an offer might be accepted. So I threw it at him and then he, he accepted it. And, and we were just like, oh, my God. It's been like 48 hours since we first went to that real estate agent. And we weren't even like. And we've now it, owned it. It was so weird. It's, our, it's, it's definitely my bat cave anyway because I go there a little bit more than you. Yeah. Um, but it's just magical. And, it, and, and it's one of those moments that allowed us to see the possibility of being able to live more off grid, but being amongst uh, um, the rainforest, we don't, we don't want to build a house there as such. We, 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 we're thinking maybe a little shack of some sort because we actually want to live like, a little bit more of or have a place where we can go which is a little bit more simplistic yeah, so basic. yeah Get so we don't have electricity off. there we we actually don't even have phone range um we've got a solar panel and some water i built a tap yeah you did yeah we've got solar on our and little just to clarify this property's got a tree kangaroo on yeah, it i know <laughs> how amazing i we remember a couple of weeks ago I was sitting there having a cup of tea and i'm watching a tree kangaroo mm-hmm. like 
mental. Listening to whipbirds or watching the whipbirds you know, playing. A lot of people don't know that tree kangaroos exist. I know, They're it's like, crazy. Well, the kangaroo lives in a tree. How does it hop in a tree? It is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, anyway, that's that's this is this is really cool. How to find your back cave. How to find your back cave. Mm. Just randomly, I don't know. But I think it is really important. There's so many pivotal moments. And it's it's like a sliding door. Like this. It's like the sliding door. Finding your kind back of cave thing. is definitely a pivotal moment. Yeah. I'm going to the back cave next week. You can go to the back cave. I'm going I'm going now. So let's when wrap this up. When we find that there's something that we need to change or develop or do, we go to the back cave. <laughs> but that's where it. I See, also I've got some in the pipeline. I want to go to the back cave to do it. Yeah. 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 But that's also where we we connect back with nature and then as we're connecting with nature, what we're actually doing is reconnecting with ourselves. Mm-hmm. We're slowing down, we're stopping, we're feeling, we're breathing, we're uh, like yeah, you know, you're you're it's it's all about coming back to yourself to be honest from there that's where we've given ourselves space to be able to think about well what is really important what do we want what do we want to create i come up with great creations up there so i can't wait to so basically zoo to you is still running so we 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 we, we do our incursions we go to schools and everything i do have some small changes for 2022 which is in line with um, and our morals and our values, I believe, change as we transition into different value systems with ourselves as well. Um, so things are changing a little bit for Zoo2 next year for our incursions. But our online stuff, I'm very passionate about getting the right information to teachers, to schools, to early childhood on how they can teach that within their centres, within their classrooms, professional development for teachers, but also I'm very, very, very big on um, at this moment in my life doing some therapy work with kids um, and using an, uh, animals as the segue of safety to be able to talk, to be able to even, even do some hypnotherapy. So to let you all know, I am starting up. I didn't even, don't even think I told you this. Um, I tell you lots of things. You just don't listen. <laughs> so um, Nature's Whispers Hypnotherapy. Oh, cool. Yep. So that has been. Is that a mic drop moment, brother? That's a mic drop Don't drop moment. this microphone because it may break. So oh. that's all in the process. So watch this space. But I work with children and um, and adults with um, hypnotherapy. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So if there's anyone listening to this podcast, it doesn't matter what stage of your life you're at. If you would like to reach out and just have a chat or learn a little bit about something or um, maybe you just want to share your story with us, by all means, please. I love stories. Flick us an email. Flick us a message on Instagram. Email us on I like love getting all the messages, yeah. And it's you know what? So cool. It makes us really happy when you but get a message. Even if it's like, hey, I listen to your podcast, I like it, I live in Canada. Like, oh, cool, God. <laughs> there are people it's listening. It's cool, isn't But it? also, cool. do you want to know what it helps me? It, it keeps me motivated and inspired to, to keep delivering because sometimes it, this can be quite a lonely journey when you run your own business or um, especially doing podcasts at times. It can be quite lonely, and so we need we, we love to know – if this is working for you, what do you want to hear about? We want to get someone on here to talk about platypus. I want to um, – I've got some other people in, in line, which I'm very excited about, wombats. Um, Pat is going to chat about um, Tassie Devils. Tassie Devils. How yeah. cool is that? But also bringing specific animal education mm. forward, which is really exciting. And I want to learn about people's pivotal moments. Pivotal and moments. Bat caves. Bat caves. Bat caves and pivotal moments. Well, I'm going to my bat cave, so I'm going to say goodbye. Righto. Catch ya. See ya. <laughs> 
Wow, another awesome wild chat, which I hope you really enjoyed because I can tell you now I absolutely did. I would really love to connect with you all as well. So please don't forget to find us on Facebook and Instagram, which you can get the links in our podcast show notes. I have them right there for you. And if you enjoyed this episode, please help us by spreading the word. You can also take a screenshot of the episode you just listened to, share it on your socials and tag us in it, of course. We would also love a review. If you have time, please jump on your podcast channel you just listened to us on and give us a review, give us some feedback and don't forget to click that big subscribe button, which of course helps us spread the word even further and for you to also be notified for any upcoming episodes. If you are somebody or know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who would love to be on our Australian Wildlife Education Wild Chats, please send them my way or get in contact with me. Also in the show notes, you can find all those details on how to get in contact. I love chatting and also learning from others who can showcase their knowledge, their expertise, but also their passion and any projects that they might have going on. So please reach out to me as I would love to get you on our podcast. But otherwise, I hope you're all amazing. I hope you're all having a great day. And I will, you'll be hearing from me in the next wild chat. See you next week. Bye.